Mr. Resistance is sitting on your shoulder. Mr. Resistance loves it when you give up. And when you're tuning your banjo or your guitar, whatever, Mr. Resistance says, yeah, you're probably, it's probably not going to ever get in tune. Why don't you just skip it and go have a piece of cake, you know? <laughs> What's up, everybody? It's Keith Billick here with another episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast, the internet's number one source for banjo nerd speak, banjo wisdom, banjo stories. So if that sounds like something that's up your alley, congratulations, you have come to the right place. And for those of you who are regular listeners and pay very close attention to my recording schedule and, and the publishing dates, I apologize that things have been slightly irregular lately. I am getting back on track, but I do have a good excuse. I was out of town for basically a few weeks. I was down in Raleigh, North Carolina for the International Bluegrass Music Association Conference, where I got to do plenty of interviews. I I got a good handful that I'll be able to share with you over the next few months and some very good ones, I might add. Also, the highlight of that week was getting to meet a bunch of you listeners. So anybody who I met down at IBMA, it was really great meeting you. Thanks for stopping by and introducing yourself. And always really cool to put names with faces and and meet listeners and so forth. Uh, So that was a great time, but definitely overstimulating, a full week action-packed. And then I went right from there, essentially, to the Great Lakes Music Camp, where I was teaching banjo, and once again, got to meet some listeners in in class and, and work with some of you on banjo skills and arranging some banjo music. So yeah, once once again, great, great meeting you all. Got another interview there. Uh, so yeah, it was action-packed, and I will have lots to share with all of you from those journeys, but... To my point, little irregular getting these episodes out, so bear with me, I'm going to get back on track, and it will all be worthwhile. Now, I mentioned how much I enjoyed meeting up with podcast listeners, so definitely finding me in person is the best way to to catch up with me. The second best way is to join one of our VIP Very Important Picker lounges, and what the VIP lounge is, is a monthly video meetup with myself and all your fellow listeners. Uh, I'll, actually, I shouldn't say all of your fellow listeners. I said this is a VIP lounge. So in order to become a VIP subscriber, you have to go over to patreon.com slash banjo podcast. And basically for throwing me a couple bucks per month, you not only get to help keep the show running and support what I do. You also get to join those VIP lounges and all sorts of other rewards associated with uh, signing up there on Patreon. Today we have an extra special Patreon subscriber to thank. That's Randy McKean. Randy, thank you so much for signing up on Patreon and supporting the show. I couldn't do it without people like you, and I truly appreciate you doing that. And maybe I will see you at this month's VIP lounge, which has just been scheduled for October 27th. That is a Thursday evening. That's going to be 8 p.m. Eastern time. We're going prime time, folks. So once again, join the VIP lounge by going over to patreon.com slash banjo podcast. And I will hope to see you next Thursday. Other ways to support the show, if you're not into doing the Patreon thing, simply spread the word, either in person or on social media, share links to the episodes, or if you want to purchase one of the world-famous Picky Fingers t-shirts, head over to banjopodcast.com, 
And those of you who already have those t-shirts, you know how good they are and how much it has increased not only your IQ and social status, it has brightened your smile, lowered your cholesterol, and, you know, all for a very reasonable price. So banjopodcast.com is where you get those t-shirts and also podcast stickers. And that all goes to help support the show. Other than that, you can reach me by email, pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. Always great to hear from you listeners with any of your suggestions, comments, feedback, etc. episode is a Clawhammer episode featuring Michael J. Miles, and this was recorded back in June at the Midwest Banjo Camp. Michael Miles is one of the most virtuosic Clawhammer players out there, not only in his just sheer ability on the instrument, but also his far-ranging influences and composing styles. He will perform anything from your typical fiddle tune arrangements to African music to Bach to classic rock and also has a really impressive composing style in which you can hear all these influences come out through his own voice. So I had a great conversation with him about his background and stories and his approach to playing this music. So please give a warm picky fingers welcome to Michael J. Miles. Michael Miles. I am from Chicago. How I became a banjo player is a really good question that uh, I'm not exactly sure what the answer is. I started on the guitar like many. Yeah. I had a kind of a musical family, not professional, but we had a player piano in the basement, you know, and uh, and my dad, he was a blue collar guy. Liked to, he worked for the electric company and He'd like to come home from work and he'd sit at the player piano and sing show tunes and stuff like you know. So oh, cool. as a kid, I'm, I'm you know I'm upstairs trying to go to sleep and he's down in the basement with his friends and they're singing '76 trombone, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And that, I mean, that was uh, that was fantastic, you know. And uh, so you uh, actually enjoyed that. It wasn't. Well, it wasn't yeah, I, d- I mean, yes, I did. I did. I did. Uh, um, and and it, well, and the player piano was a blast because uh-huh. uh, because you know you just pedal it and uh, and it, and there's all these rolls we had uh, you know old old stu- old show tunes uh, uh, like Caledonia and and oh and, cool uh, you know somewhere over the rainbow and and uh, raindrops keep falling on my head and those I mean a bunch of song, you know just songs that would because uh, my parents were kind of social when they my father died young um, but but he was a social uh, guy, he liked to have friends. He liked to have parties. He liked to have uh, people over, and and singing uh, was a, a part of you know as part of uh, our world. And it's you know singing in the car, singing "Shine on Harvest Moon" and "Ragtime Cowboy Joe" and uh. any kind of you know just this is just like when singing was uh, more of a kind of social activity uh, of sorts. And you were participating in that as well. Yeah, with yeah, the, yeah, with yeah. this family singing and, yeah, and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, 
you know, and and then I got a guitar, yeah. and I was and I was because my older brother Terry, he played the he he was a kind of a folky character. Uh, of in, when he was here, he had a little folk group that was kind of like the Kingston Trio. This is in the sixties, yeah, in the in, in high school, and and there was a guitar around, and you know, and he uh, showed me a few chords, and and then. You know, I, I I remember I got in trouble once because my parents asked me to play a song for their bridge. They had these people coming over to play bridge. They come over to play bridge, and uh, Mike, can you come out and play a play a song on your guitar? So I I played because <laughs> it had an E minor chord. And you know, when you play the guitar, when you're starting to play the guitar, the coolest thing in the world is playing an E minor chord. It's two fingers. Pretty Sounds easy. great. Right. You know, so uh, I I. <laughs> I went out out and I played, I think we're alone now. (laughs) (laughs) I got in big trouble for that. My mother was aghast, you know. uh, Wasn't uh, what they were expecting, huh? (laughs) But anyway, that was, uh, so there was all this miscellaneous uh, music around. And then um, I went to uh, all boys Catholic high school and they didn't even have a music program. So I, uh, and I used to hitchhike down the Eisenhower Expressway in Chicago to get to school and and I and and I really wasn't serious about music until I got into I got into college and mm-hmm. um, it was there. Um, I went to for one year. I went to the University of Lancaster in England, hmm. and um, and from that I joined a street theater because I'm trying to answer your question about the banjo. Yeah, I joined a, st- I joined a street theater. From that was based on the university uh, that went on tour through southern France. So there were nine of us in the street theater. We had one van, one big tent, and uh, we were doing these shows in towns, population under 3,000 in southern France. And then at night, we'd stay at these campgrounds. And at the campgrounds, you could get, if you brought the campground owner an empty bottle, he'd fill it with French wine for a quarter. Oh you wow! Know? And so this was uh, this was a good this was our entertainment, and we um, was so that we, a great deal, or does the twenty five cents <laughs> actually reflect the quality of the wine as well? Um, uh, <laughs> probably both, but uh, but uh, you know, at age twenty one, you're not so yeah. uh, critical. At Boone's Farm is you know uh, was was uh, uh, you know on the menu in the recent past. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, the uh, so. There we are, and I had a and I was playing the guitar, and I had a banjo. They had a banjo, and I was playing the banjo kind of like I would play the guitar. I could finger pick the guitar, so I was finger picking this okay. banjo and just you know doing a little. We had like a bluegrass thing uh, with me hacking a- as away as part of the theater yeah, presentation. Yeah, 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 yeah. It okay. was just one of the one of the items. It was all mime and music and dance. No, no speaking. It was uh, it was uh, it was street theater stuff, and so. Yeah. So here next to our uh next to our little tent, uh, next to our big tent rather, there's a little tent and where it's midnight one night and we're drinking this wine, whatnot, and 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 the, there's a little two person tent next to ours and this guy sticks his head out and he says, Hey hey, you know Zizwa? And he plays on a banjo. You know, Wait, guy, he had a banjo in his tent? He had a banjo tent? in his tent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he comes out and he knows And he wasn't with you or he anything? Kno- no, just he was just r- happened to end up camping right next to us. And he co- he knows everything I can think of. Can you play the Beverly Hill? Can you play Delivering? Can you? And he's going, bring the and he plays them all. Wow. And then we were doing, you know, we're doing these other songs and whatnot. And when we, st- we did other songs, he did something else. And he's sitting right to my right. 
uh, and and the, his banjo sound changed entirely. And he's doing. I was just enchanted by the sound. I said, "What are you doing?" Yeah. He said, "It is frilling." Oh. <laughs> I'd never seen it or heard it, and I was like, "Wow! Listen to that. It's amazing." And uh, and I thought, no matter how much of this French wine we drink. I must remember that word, yeah. you know. Yeah. <clears throat> and a few weeks later, I was back in the United States, and and I bought myself a Mel Bay book called "Teach Yourself to," or how to play the how to frail the five string. So you had remembered job. through yeah. through the yeah. fog of the wine, and and <laughs> and I got this book, and it took time, me a yeah. year to figure out how to frail the banjo, and uh, that was how I got started. That's so funny that this uh, American guy you know, leaves his country to find this uh, instrument that's associated with American traditional mm. music from some random French guy. That's really cool. So your interest in that obviously sustained. How did you, how did you take it from there and teach yourself and what kind of music did you get into? Well, uh, having grown up in Chicago and having in my, uh, you know, I like to refer to our inner jute boxes. My inner jute box was was uh, from the radio, you know, just yeah. listen to the radio in Chicago, pop music, the Beatles and Rolling Stones, and and I think we're alone. <laughs> I read that like too, that. <laughs> you know, stuff like that, and and sure enough, um, ex- started to experiment with what I could play. And at that time too, you know, this is like uh, um, in the seventies, and so bands like the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, the Will the Circle Be on Broken Record came out in 1972, and mm-hmm. and the Kicking Mule had a record called Melodic Clawhammer Banjo that I picked up along the way, and and um, I was listening to that, I'm fr- you know friends with a lot of these guys now, J- John McEwen, of the, who was the founder of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, he recorded sure. with Earl Scruggs at amazing version of Soldier's Joy, which mixed uh, bluegrass and, cl- and, and clawhammer style, and I, you know, I must have listened to that a thousand times and then started weaving my way in into that world of what people had done in American folk and traditional and roots music and Doc Watson. And, uh, yeah. you know, I I loved listening to Doc Watson. I, uh, and his he had a record called Memories where he played the he played a couple tunes on the banjo and then but then he flat picked the guitar. And, and I felt like I learned a lot from just listening to how he. Doc Watson would handle melodies. And I would always have my students actually listen to, I'd say, you want to learn how, how to handle a melody on the banjo? Listen to how Doc Watson plays it on his guitar. You know, it's, a, it's a, so musical. And, right. And, I've, and I found him to be a, a big influence uh, in, as I was trying to get control of, in a sense of how to play traditional American music. Yeah. You know, but my, my tastes... Uh, went um, beyond just playing folk music into, into more popular stuff and into rock and roll songs and blues songs and, right. and anything that's you could make work. Uh, your on inner the, on jukebox, the, like you said, yeah, just anything of your influences right. that bubble out from that, yeah. And, you know, uh, and over the years I've had tours to Africa, to northern Africa, to Morocco a couple times, and... The Middle East to Turkey and Beirut and 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 wow. whenever I would do this, I would always um, uh, request that I would could collaborate with local musicians, and I did so along the way. And I, well, there was quite a moving experience, uh, similar to you know, similar in some ways to meeting the guy in France. Was in Morocco, 
um, I was taken to Essaouira, Morocco. That's a country, uh, I mean, a city that's it's sort of in the south on the coast. And the guy who was taking me around said, you must, you know, you have to meet Zine Abedin. Right. Zine was the premier builder and player of the Hajuj. And the Hajuj is used in Ganawa music, Ganawa, G-N-A-W-A, Ganawa. And, and sometimes that's called trance music. You might have heard of trance music in Morocco and uh, where they would play this stuff and chant all night. And, and the main instrument is the hajouj. Now, the hajouj has a perfectly round neck, um, about two inches in diameter, perfectly uh -huh. round, as long as a banjo neck, maybe a little bit longer. And then the body is probably two feet long, 10 inches tall, with a leather top. So okay. it's a drum-based string instrument. I feel like I may you know. have seen one of these. And and they have the the back. The wood is is beautifully carved wood. You know, like Moroccan Moroccan art. Often they have mosaic and wood carvings, just like intense and and dense and and delicate and exquisite. You know, beyond words. Yeah. And zine. So I so he bring me into this his little shop, and here's here's a. Uh, and I have to speak to Zine through an interpreter. Sure. And he's and there he is with his hajuj, which is pretty big. I mean, it's like bigger than a guitar when you hold the whole thing. Okay. And I'll, and I'll send you a picture of it so you. Can oh yeah, see I would it. love yeah. to see it. And um, and sure enough, here's Zine playing this, and there's three strings, and the strings are made of camel hair, and they're different length, and they're uh, and there's, there's a short one in the middle, and the string there's no tuners on these. They're they're held. The strings are held in place by straps. Because this is this is ancient. This is an ancient instrument. Yeah. Wow. I've asked about how old these traditions are, and uh, you know, I've heard everything from the 11th century is the oldest anyone ever said, down to the 15th century. Okay. This instrument and and instruments like it, drum-based string instruments with strings of different lengths. Yeah. So here's Zine in his shop, and he's got the hajuj in his lap, and. My friend, whose name is Abdel Krim, Abdel Krim says, asked Zine if he would play for me. And so Zine yeah. goes to play, and I'm looking at his right hand, and his right hand looks exactly like my right hand. downward attack on the strings that is aka claw hammer banjo right <laughs> but it's the frailing but yeah. <laughs> it is it is but it dates 
to perhaps the 11th century. Right. Uh, you know, and I have like chills just seeing this. Look at that. Like here I am, a white guy who grew up in Chicago. I come to Africa and I'm, and I'm face to face with a guy who represents a music tradition that is hundreds of At years minimum, old. hundreds of years Certainly old. Certainly much older than America. And his right hand technique is the right hand technique that I learned from the Mel Bay book. Yeah. About how to frail the banjo. And I was oh my God, I'm looking at this. And, and so... Was that the first time that you realized that there was just a lot more to this than you had, you had heard about? Or, or Well, it was certainly the first time I was face-to-face with it. Right. You know, I mean, I'd... And, and you know, you hear a lot of different things and you read miscellaneous uh, bits and pieces and people tell you stories here and there, but here I am face-to-face with this Sing guy. Sing it for yourself. You know? and, and he... Uh, gestured for me to, if I wanted to p- play one of his instruments, to go ahead and do it. And I, I couldn't play it like him, but I could, I could pick it up, and make a sound out of it. And he's looking at me, thinking, "What <laughs> is this? Who is this guy from Chicago? And he can pick up the ancient hajuj and play it? You know, it's like. Right. But nonetheless, he could see my right hand." that looked like his right hand. Yeah. And it was like, how can this be? And it was like, oh my God. So we, uh, and we hit it off. It's like two tri- time travelers meeting each other yeah, somewhere yeah, in the middle. Yeah. And, so yeah. he was kind of, you know, he was, he was uh, kind of freaked out from a completely different perspective. How uh-huh. can this be? That yeah. Here he is, literally, the, he, was, um, he is known in that world as the premier builder and player. And so, so this Hajuj, he built at that himself. He built that, yes, oh, right? Wow. Yes, cool. and uh, and he built me one. I have at home too. Oh, yeah. how yeah. cool! Yeah, how are they tuned traditionally? They're tuned uh, root octave fourth. Okay. So he he actually pulled out a little tuner and showed me. So the the lowest note is like a low D on the guitar. If you two were in drop D tuning, uh-huh. and then the next string in the in middle, drop D. So like a very low. So very D. low okay. D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the and the strings are big. They're like the str- they're it's camel hair, but they're like the size of strings on an upright bass. Um, oh uh, wow! And so yeah, so it would be D, yeah. and then an octave above it, so D above it, and then uh, a G, a fourth above the D. Uh, and and so a, a typical Kanawa ensemble would have one hajuj and f- maybe four guys <laughs> playing these giant figure eight. Uh, shaped iron castanets. Oh wow! Really loud. Oh, I can and, imagine. And and so you you get these rhythms where they're they're uh, and it's all syncopated. It's all well, and the, and underneath that would be the hajuj, and you, it's you can't. There's not a lot of melody played on the hajuj. It's a bit more of a groove. Driver, yeah. So and so, so there's like a bass line going boom, boom, and then call and response singing. Oftentimes, it follows it. I'm definitely going to have to track some of this down. I'm sure but it's it, out but, there. And it is, to. it is, um, and it's a Berber culture. And so, uh, Abdel Karim, my friend Abdel Karim, uh, he, uh, we went, we went and heard some uh, other players, and it was clear to me that it was. Uh, the music played on the hajus was sacred, uh, secular sacred, but sacred nonetheless. And 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 so, 
after I left and eventually got the one sent to me a few years later. Uh-huh. And, and then I had, now I have this thing at home and I can't, you know, I'm trying to, trying to play. <laughs> it's complicated to play. And, and I called up Abdel Krim and I said, okay, I got the Hajuj. And I've right. been I've been working on it. Um, he, and Abdel Krim was a Berber, and he was very he was a kind of a Renaissance man, and uh, he seemed to know everybody. And like, and he worked. He was an, a Moroccan who worked for the State Department, but he uh, he was also a writer and a poet and a painter, and had this had this kind of charisma uh, that just like an air of charisma around yeah. him. And he, so I I said called him and I said. Abdukrim, I've got the Hajuj, and I'd like to I'd like to begin using it, but I need your blessing. To huh. I need you to okay what I, what I'm playing, uh-huh. you know. Uh, so I'm going to put the phone down and I'm going to play, and uh, you're going to listen and tell me if it's okay. Right, he said, right. He said, "What? What are you going?" I said, "You heard me. I'm going to. I need you to. <laughs> I need you to. I need." I need you to listen to what I'm doing uh-huh. and, and, and tell me. So, so I said, oh, okay, you know. And then so I put, I put the phone down and I go to play, whatever, doodly doodly do that I was, that I had it on the Hajuj. And, and, and then I pick up the phone and said, So, what'd you think? And he said, Well, tell you the truth, sounds kind of Western to me. That would make sense. <laughs> he said, "You should listen to those recordings uh, we got for you." You know, and yeah. I said, uh, and, uh, and I said "Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do that." And he said, "But um, you get uh, you get special dispensation uh, because you are a teacher, so you can play it like that." Okay, okay. you have my blessing. You have the bu- you got the blessing. <laughs> oh, that's great. And yeah, yeah. So that and which uh, I think um, gives me. Gave me uh, uh, along the way just this greater sense and permission to explore the. I see the banjo um, and claw hammer style as um, it's just a technique, and I am I am not a part of. Uh, I mean, I can play. I do play Doc Watson stuff. I love his work. I and some and there's plenty of other parts of. Uh, American uh, traditional music of all sorts. I ran the Old Town School of Folk Music for 15 years, and I, I've done, you know, so all that stuff is uh, dear to my heart. But at the same time, I don't feel tied to any particular style. And, you know, sure. as, as a, I started out with sing-along songs in the basement at home and, and then got to playing, you know, folky guitar and popular guitar, and I had you know a little electric rock band when i was in 7th and 8th grade and right. and stuff and 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 then and then went on to uh, you know got interested in cl- in classical music i recorded the bach cello suites they were going to be an end for me for a while but then i realized that they were not the end they were the means to being more of a composer Folks, we are in a golden age of online instrument instruction, and at the top of that world is Peghead Nation. Peghead Nation has streaming video courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele, so you can learn bluegrass, old time, and plenty of other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in all of Roots Music. Check out 
the courses they have, and this is just for banjo, you could get beginning or bluegrass banjo with Bill Evans, Clawhammer banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward style banjo with Bruce Molsky, the banjo according to Danny Barnes, and contemporary bluegrass banjo with Wes Corbett. Each of those courses include high-quality video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. And the best thing yet is you're going to get your first month free just by being a listener of this show. So go to pegheadnation.com and use promo code PICKYFINGERS at checkout and claim your free month of the best instruction out there. And if you find yourself needing a banjo or accessories, to get ready for those Peghead Nation courses, I highly recommend you check out Elderly Instruments, which is the world's most trusted source of new used and vintage stringed instruments, including banjos, guitars, violins, mandolins, ukuleles, all that stuff. They're going to have the best instruments you can find anywhere. And we're talking everything from the more affordable instruments for people starting out on up through the most highly sought after vintage instruments. Elderly Instruments has been family owned since 1972. And if you can't make it to their Lansing, Michigan showroom, you can see their full selection at elderly.com or give them a call at 517-372-7880 for some professional advice on all of your banjo and other stringed instrument needs. And you know what all these stringed instruments have in common? They all sound better with GHS strings. GHS Strings is another sponsor of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast, and I'm proud to say they have been made in Battle Creek, Michigan since 1974. And if you don't want to take my word for it, maybe you'll believe such people as J.D. Crow, Sonny Osborne, and Bela Fleck, just a few of the many, many users of GHS Strings. So go check them out, ghsstrings.com. They have a wide selection of gauged sets so that no matter what you're looking for, you'll be able to find something there. I'm going to stop you because you're saying so much that I want to uh, yeah. to follow up on. I guess the first thing is you, you mentioned something a while back about teaching students about uh, listening to Doc Watson and how he interprets yeah. a melody. Is there any sort of demonstration that you you would just a good example of a melody that you maybe learned in uh, in a way that you're trying to get students to take um, in from Doc Watson? Sure. I, I mean, this weekend, uh, let me see. I to change the tuning, uh, but uh, this weekend I did Black Mountain Rag. Oh, uh, sure. Uh, as a workshop, and he plays that on that Memories record on the guitar, and it was one that. I listened to him play it. He had on this record, I think on the same side was Black Mountain Rag and Salt Creek, you know, those okay. two, two. And I listened to them a lot. And I, um, I, I just had a sense of uh, um, how can I take what he's doing and not, you know, I wasn't going to, I couldn't play it exactly note for note, but I wanted sure. to take the, you know, this overall sense of it and get it into a playable format on the... On the on the banjo, yeah. my my style. So, and um, so here's that. Um. Mm-hmm. 
Really cool, and and something that comes to mind, especially when I hear some of your up up the neck uh, interpretations. You, you said that you view frailing and the claw hammer approach as merely a technique that you could use to play ostensibly right. just about anything. And I'm wondering, someone like me, and I imagine other people view that technique as more limited than maybe other techniques. And it seems like. Maybe that either didn't occur to you or maybe you saw it as a challenge to, to take something that is fundamentally kind of, of limited in the kinds of rhythms that you can do. And you, you've taken on a lot of like really ambitious challenges using that te- technique. So I don't know, just talk about your mindset of um, Well, I, of I actually found that I had a band and I made my living as a bluegrass banjo player. Yeah, for about a year or oh, so. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I did both bluegrass and frailing in that band, but I didn't like, I, I couldn't bring myself to practice all those, uh, the bluegrass stuff because it didn't interest me enough because huh. it struck me, there was a whole repertoire that if you're going to be a bluegrass banjo player, you kind of got to know Earl Scruggs. You need to you need to do a certain, it's like a, it's like a rite of passage that you have sure. to go through. And, I, yeah. and it, I, it didn't interest me enough hmm. to put in, the time required to do that um, because my inner jukebox had other stuff in it that was you know saying you should play this instead and and so I to your question found just the opposite that that in in fact playing frailing claw hammer style and I use those words in, in, yeah, you yeah. know synonymously that that uh, that gave me this freedom you know that uh, what you wow. know it's like whatever song what about what other what songs uh could I you know we were listening to this band played old and in the way and uh childhood living is easy to do beginning of you know yeah. wild horses right. and it's like well man i can i can do that because of what we're doing with frailing is is uh rhythm and melody and so um, mm-hmm. so when i play with bluegrass guys and i step into other kinds of musical styles i've i've got 
a whole drum machine that they don't because mm-hmm. they have those finger picks on and they're doing you know and the lim- and the limitation of of doing back backup it doesn't get to include the kind of grooves that you can get with with this You know, you can get all kinds of rhythms, and I and I use a, you know, I'll uh, listen to Indian tabla players and Puerto Rican djembe players and or, or conga players and, and and African djembe players, and these guys have all these rhythms, you know, and I can listen to those rhythms and step into those worlds with the fact that we've got we've got that right hand groove that right it's free and and basically there's no you know there's no Earl Scruggs. In, in that world where there's, uh, I met Earl Scruggs and you know, and I, I listened and have enjoyed his work and totally respected and it was, you know was thrilling to see all, all all that he did. But I felt like okay, he did that, you know. And there's mm-hmm. a bunch of other guys who are you know doing that exact same thing, and that's fantastic. And and so it's taken care of. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and there's this whole other this whole other world out there that that uh, musically that the, where the doors are open. Yeah, you you kind of had a sense that there was more to maybe explore with with this style. Or I was free. It, it just, I, I, just no no, ex, yeah. no expectations. <laughs> if you say you're a bluegrass banjo player, show me. You know, if you say you're a, you know I play the banjo. What do you play? Well, right. you know, what do you want to hear? Yeah, you know. Uh, but you still must have had an awareness. You know, you you alluded to your your fascination with Bach, and and we can absolutely start talking about that. But you you still must have had an awareness that that wasn't a place that people usually go playing clawhammer banjo. Uh, r- right. Uh, and but that, I that I'm uh, aware of it. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, it wasn't. Uh, it didn't really bother me. My first my first recording. Uh, it was called Counterpoint, and it's folk. It was folk songs, uh, traditional music, whiskey before breakfast, and uh, it's, uh, uh, the wind that shakes the barley, and red-haired boy, and little Sadie, and some of those, uh, you know, kind of standard traditional tunes. Um, instead of just playing, I wrote. It was called Counterpoint because I wrote a, a counterpoint harmony line uh, for a second banjo, and I played two banjos. I was sort of fascinated by harmony. I was fascinated by harmony. It's like, yeah. well, these tradition. My observation was in traditional music, um, when there is a harmony, if I, if somebody plays, um, you'll see harmony in, in bluegrass bands, you know. But and frequently, that those harmonies would be parallel harmonies. Sure. Um, and so uh, that are being done uh, spontaneously. And counterpoint harmony is different because counterpoint harmony line. Has an independence and a different uh, doesn't necessarily have to have the same rhythm. Here's the melody line. Here's a counterpoint line. They, you kind of construct them on paper. You know, you write them. They because, can exist independently because they can. Yeah. yeah, right. It's not something that you would necessarily 
I mean, some, some there's you know musical brilliance galore, especially around here this weekend. But 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 the counterpoint harmony lines are would be they're generally more constructed on paper and and then you know experimented with. And so that was something that in, in really interested me. And that was uh, taking that you know what can I do with traditional stuff because the world doesn't need another recording of, of whiskey before breakfast yeah. you know like that's already been played a million ways so what can i if i wanted to record that what would i do with it and 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 that, and so that was where the harmony came in that recording um that was the first one and then the second one was was where i got Bach on the Bach, and yeah. Bach became like an addiction um where i've just played one worked out one movement and then another one and another and it was like i found that i couldn't you know I couldn't play any anything else but that for a while. Well, yeah. talk about trying to tackle that on on the instrument. Like I I understand enjoying the music. That must have been quite a a disciplined uh, time for you to to have to work all those out. You know, it was it was an interesting time for me um, personally. Uh, um, it was a tough time. Uh, I was working I was working at the Old Town School at the time, and I was also in the middle of uh, getting custody of my daughter, you know? <laughs> and, oh. uh, and so the world was, like, complicated out, outside there. You know, it was complicated outside there. And I, and I was like, how do I create, you know, what kind of, how do I manage all of the mess of the world and stay stable as a person? Yeah. Right? <laughs> and uh, so what happened was, that was when, and that was when I started leaning on, on Bach, and, uh, and I would... Um, so outside, outside this door, you know, there's the world, and there's all this stuff that I'm having to tangle with, and it's and some of it is kind of complicated, unpleasant, and tricky. And, yeah. yeah, right. And there's some, you know, there's some people out there who are not very nice, and they're, you know, and I'm having to go toe to toe with them, and I don't particularly like that. And then I come home, right, close the door, and go in this room, and play Bach, and here's like I'm face to face with one of the wonders of the world, right here in this room, you know, and out there, the world, it's, you know, it's complicated and messy, but right here, it's amazing, uh -huh. amazing, like I've never experienced before. And it was like, that was quite a powerful thing for me to uh, lean on. And, uh, and uh, you know, and I think, <laughs> you know, there's a circle of the world that likes Bach and a circle of the world that likes a banjo and where those two circles overlap, <laughs> there's not a lot of people, you know. <laughs> but, uh, but it was okay because, uh, you know, I had, this, I had this job. I wasn't relying on gigs at that point uh, uh -huh. uh, because I was uh, the program director at Old Town School. And so... So I was just, you know, staying after staying after this, and 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 to me it was being face to face with one of the wonders of the world. You know, yeah, nothing. I mean, sure. I I heard you messing around. Was that the cello prelude, the famous cello yeah. prelude? Are you up for giving us a, a sample of that to sure uh, to yeah. to demonstrate how this could be interpreted? And you have a whole album of it, of course. Yeah. Uh, oops, I have to change the tuning again. Hold on. Oh, yeah, I, I already made you yeah, mess it up. Okay.
So cool. Thanks, thanks for sharing that. And uh, I'll, I'll have listeners know you, you, you wouldn't have any way of knowing this otherwise, but uh, the, the lights <laughs> to the room went out for, for a minute there. So Mike was actually playing some of that in the pitch pitch blackness. I, I think we're on like a motion sensor and I, yeah, right. I had to wave my we're arms right. over yeah, here right. to, to get it to turn back on while you were yeah, playing. Yeah, yeah, So, So good job. Persever- You've had all sorts of uh, hiccups during your performances lately. At last night at the concert, your fifth string was coming out of the, I know. Of the bridge. Yeah, I so came off on the other banjo. Are, yeah. I'm starting yeah. to wonder if there's, I don't know, are you cursed for some reason <laughs> is, is no uh, no no you just uh you just you know you gotta be uh you gotta be at the ready for whatever happens and yeah, uh, we, you know you never just never know you've proved yourself twice now so <laughs> I, I, I think whatever's yeah. cursing you can let up uh well that's that's amazing and i have to um i have to think that that project had an influence on your own composing because a lot of your pieces are not a part, B part, fiddle tunes, repeat. Uh, they are, you know, multi-movement right. suites uh, often, yeah. and, and they're beautiful pieces of music. But uh, is that is that true that Bach kind of led right into that style of composing? Um, well, what happened was I I work the project um, it was seven years between Counterpoint and American Bach. It was a long time, and and during that time, all these other things happened. But I, uh, but I was sort of zeroed in on these first and third cello suites, and yeah. and so uh, ultimately they they were finally recorded, right? And, yeah. Uh, and I said to the engineer, "So what is our running time for the t- for both of them combined?" And he said, "It's thirty seven minutes." Hmm. And I and I was like, "Wow, man." seven years seven years of work and it's 37 minutes long and and at that point you know 37 minutes would have been fine if it was lp but uh but cds were you know this was 1997 and uh or a little bit more yeah yeah yeah. and and i it's like and and the engineer without batting an eye said he said well you should just write your own suite now that now that and and i had and I had I just hadn't considered it because I I had been so locked on to just trying to learn trying to learn Bach you know yeah. and and uh, and it's a and it's an and, and learning Bach is an ongoing process. Uh, there's a famous story about Rostopovich, the great cellist, mm-hmm. who uh, you know Yo-Yo Ma at this point has recorded the cello suites three times. Rostopovich waited until he was 65, and they asked, "Well, Mr. Rostopovich, why did you wait so long to to record the cello suites?" And he said. I've been practicing. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So it's so it's, it's not just you that yeah. have, that have seen all their work. Yeah, uh, yeah. So so, um, so so so. And when my engineer said, "Well, you should just write," yeah, I thought, "Wow." Well, I'm a little. I'm I'm having having these two suites recorded. I was liberated. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when I and that's when I began composition more in earnest after at, at that point and discovered that in fact. Bach was not going to be the end for me because again that circle of people who want to hear it is pretty small. Yeah. But but rather the means to becoming a composer. And so what all the riddles that I had to solve about how to play the banjo uh, and uh, how to play these melody lines that I had tra- I transcribed you know it went from the cello music 
mm-hmm. informal music notation to banjo tablature, you know, uh-huh. up an octave, and and uh, and all the riddles that came with that that I had to work out harmonically and physically. You know, right. how can I play these and do it clawhammer style? Because clawhammer style is this was what worked for me. You know, yeah. uh, and it was in, I had an, I had a lucky instinct about how to manage it, mm-hmm. and but in that in double C tuning. You know, any given note, uh, when you're above the G, uh, at the fifth fret of the first string, you have three places to play it. You can play it there, you could play it on the second string two frets up, or you could play it on the fifth string, and uh, or you could play the harmonic on the, thir- on the third string. And yeah. so, so those are options. Yeah. So that, that, and having those options made it possible to work out the claw hammer nuance uh, to maintain, you know, what felt right in my right hand, yeah. but harmonically and uh, the idea how he created all that stuff, it really became it became um, the, the 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 shoulders really of of everything I've done since musically and especially the uh, the my original works. Well, talk talk about your own composing style then. Like I, I noticed, you even had a. a class this weekend about finding your voice through composition yeah. so so maybe what would be like the the elevator pitch for how people can uh find that kind of creativity uh, or, or or how do you or yeah how do you specifically do it well i think i think you find um one one of the one of the people i um talked about was one of my other musical heroes is richard rogers who mm-hmm. wrote uh who wrote the sound of music? You mm-hmm. know, Do, he's the one who wrote Do with the ear, female right. deer, and and uh, my favorite things and <laughs> and stuff. And I, and I've taught songwriting and composition classes in universities and stuff. And I and one of the and there's a great book called Songwriters on Songwriting by Paul Zalo. Maybe oh, some cool. of your listeners have, and it's really interesting interviews with 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 different songwriters of mostly of the 20th century and and you know how they did what they did and how and and why they did it and how and how it came about and and some were more articulate than others it's you know but oftentimes the question how did you write this song in the and the response would be like, well, man, I don't know, man. I was just sitting there, man. And five minutes later, man, the song came out. I don't know how it happened. You yeah, know? yeah. And, uh, and it's like, well, that's real helpful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, but Richard Rogers, he, he, uh, he wanted, uh, he wanted nothing of that. You pick, you see pictures of him and he, he looks like a banker. You know, he kind of looks like a banker. He's got a suit and tie on and, and carrying a, carrying an attache case and a <laughs> little stuff here. And, 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 and he, uh, one of his approaches to composition was to create a motif and i've done this in some classes where it was like i could say to you keith here's what you do i need uh i need three notes find a note you like find one to follow it and find a find a third one those three you or just and make a decision doesn't have to be perfect but you know but the clock is ticking you have two minutes give me three yeah, notes what's your three notes and then you come up with uh, that's your. Those are your three notes, and then you can. Well, okay. So, so let's. So, what can you? What can you do with it? So, and, and what what happens is the the motif can become the beginning of a of of a composition. And so, I like that idea of. And I'll play a little. Uh, uh, how does this go? Uh, um, 
So um, here's one. Um, this is the New Century Suite. I had a yeah. record, and and so and the the idea of my motif was trying trying to find not not that a, a complete composition drops out of the sky, but an idea. So uh, here's the idea. Uh, whoops, sorry, not that. Uh, There it is. Sorry. Uh, and uh, and then okay, well, record that, and that's it. Gotta go. See ya. You know. And uh, but tomorrow, I was like, what have I got? What have I got? And I go back to the recording. Here is my motif from yesterday. It took me two minutes to. And then, and then, then to 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 kind of start to uh, ex expand on that. Okay. And and some of the some of the aids I use like right now uh, for the banjo players in the world I use, I like to use uh, this three string capo. Um, yeah. So the three string capo I'm in double C tuning, and the three string capo is on the fourth fret on strings two, three, and four. So it gives it kind of an E minor. So now the tuning open strings. G, um, and then the fourth string is E, B, E, D. So it's like it's like an E minor seven. E chord. minor seven. Yeah, man. and then uh, and then that I I like to think about BB King, who was famously you know did not read music, didn't play rhythm for anybody else. Yeah. He just kind of <laughs> knew where the sounds were, you right. know, like where are the sounds? Uh -huh. And when he looked down at the neck, he. He could hear the sounds, you know, and huh. it's like so. So this new tuning, okay. Yeah. Where are the sounds? So that was where this started, and I'll play this. This is a prelude to the new century suite, yeah. Um,
Yeah, I love that piece. It's great. Um, and, and you literally wrote that just uh, uh, in the way that you described, a section at a time, taking yes. a, just you can, building you on can, itself yeah, o- over um, time? Yeah, so that um, there's that, you know, a section, the mo- the... your question yes <laughs> uh that you know there's those different sections in that piece of course and yeah. in, and each in each one is like creating a theme and 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 what i like to share with the students about composition is um is that idea of like we can be so critical of ourselves where everyone's their own worst critic there's this great book called the the art of war which is an ancient uh, Chinese war philosophy. There's another book called The War of Art, written by this guy named Stephen Pressfield. I don't know if you ever heard of this book, but I have actually. Yeah, yeah. it's a and it's a it's a it's a it's a very short book. And he what he does is he personifies the naysayer. He calls the naysayer uh, resistance. So like Mister Resistance is sitting on your shoulder, uh-huh. and when you're uh, you know, like having trouble tuning your tuning your banjo or your guitar, whatever. Mister Naysayers, yes, says, yeah, you're probably it's probably not going to ever get in tune. Why don't you just skip it and go have a piece of cake? You know, <laughs> <laughs> or or you think is this is this motif uh, is this motif any good? And he's like, no, nah, no, nah, it's that's 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 crap. He wants you to just just skip it. You know, and Mister Mister Resistance loves it when you give up. Uh-huh. You know, and what I found was that personifying that voice in my own mind was really helpful because wow. it was like, okay, I can go toe-to-toe with this character yeah. <laughs> and say, no, nah, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this thing in tune. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to, you know, and, yeah. uh, and it, was, it was because we do, and we all have this, you know, it's just part of yeah. human nature, yeah. you know. So, uh, um, so it was interesting to, you know, take that on and take, you know, how do we, how do we manage that? That inner critic and and how and how do you produce results and and you know it's like deadlines make the world go round. So I need another motif. You got that first one down? Good. Now I'll give you five minutes and let this one create a variation on the one that you started with. Okay. You know and 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 there you know you have some not uh, Keith. I need you to. I need to. It would be really great if you could play me a new composition. Um, you know, sometime tomorrow or something. You know, it was like, and then it's like, I oh, got good grief. You know, where do you? It's like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know where to do. I don't know where to begin. Well, where you begin are these smaller ideas, and uh-huh. and you know, and then to let them grow. And the notion that you have, you play something, and it sounds sounds good. Sounds good. I think oh, this is cool. I'll, and and then and then I'll uh, I'll remember this tomorrow, right? And it's like, <laughs> yeah. Tomorrow comes and. You don't remember it. It's it's long gone, and it's so so the, it's important to kind of record things and get them down, so you have some you know like a like a uh, composition journal of sorts that could be just so easy to record stuff on your phone. You just do it. Boom! Here's like thirty seconds of yeah this motif or another. So 
That's I think that's great advice. Yeah, producing another alter ego ego to to <laughs> combat the the resistance guy. Who, yeah, who, yeah, who, yeah. You know, to yeah supports you and, and gives you your little assignments for the day or something. Like yeah. That. Uh, well, we we need to wrap up to get get you to lunch and make sure you can uh, move on with your day. Uh, tell us real quick, like what banjo you play and. Uh, you know, give give us the, give us <clears throat> well, the rundown this, uh, of what we've been hearing. This one that I've been playing, it's a it's a um, a white lady, nineteen twenty five. It was a tenor banjo hmm. um, originally, and then I had Tom Neckville build me a removable neck because I've traveled with it. Sometimes with my one man show from Senegal to Seeger, uh, uh, you know, if I can drive to the gig, I have ten instruments, including the hajouj. Oh, wow. uh, but if I fly, um, I've flown with five or six <laughs> so it's so it's useful wow. to have it's useful to have removable necks so this this one i i use a lot and the and then the the other one that uh is that i have done quite a bit with is this fretless banjo. yeah that's a beautiful uh, banjo um it's uh was made by jim hartel minstrelbanjo.com and um <laughs> Has a whole other, uh, you know, soulful sound. Yeah, it's, uh, the, uh, yeah that's very cool. The um, I have uh, I often keep it in a uh, what is the equivalent of a double C orientation, um, but my low my low note, that's like the low G on a guitar. Yeah. So, um, and I can play a little. Uh, um, I got to run, keep from hiding, and I'm bound, keep on riding. I got one more silver dollar, but I'm not gonna let them catch me, no, not gonna let them catch the midnight rider. I'm not gonna buy the point of caring. Some old bed I'll soon be sharing I got one more A silver dollar But I'm not gonna Let them catch me, no Not gonna let them Catch the midnight rider What a great sound! Yeah. That's cool. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, you mentioned the the Minstrel Banjos website. Tell us tell us what your website is so we can track down your music and your tour. Mine is uh, uh, milesmusic.org. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks again for your time and the and the playing demonstrations. Uh, I, I wish I could dig more into. Uh, your catalog with you and everything, but yeah. maybe maybe some other time. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, sure. I appreciate yeah. you meeting up with me. Yeah, it's fun to fun to talk about. Thank you for your curiosity and thanks to your listeners for listening and 
and uh, playing banjos, uh, those who do. And so, yeah, it's uh, great to be able to share this stuff. That's what, that's what, um, that's, that's so important, I think, to just share it. Here we've, you know, we have these of course. great things to offer. So We should try to expand that little section of Bach and banjo <laughs> fans. So, so everyone out there, yeah. g- gather together. Here we go. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thanks again, Michael. You bet. That's going to do it for this episode, folks. Thanks for joining me. The song clips you heard in this episode were The Rumba from the Sundial Suite by Michael J. Miles, Soldier's Joy by the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, a track called Solo Gwembri by Abdel Kabir Amlil, and I sincerely hope I pronounced that almost correctly. Uh, Whiskey Before Breakfast by Michael J. Miles. Thank you once again to Randy McKean, today's Patreon supporter of the show. Head over to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to become a supporter of yourself and join me for this month's VIP lounge, October 27th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. That's going to do it for me, folks. I'll see you all next time. Thank you.